I think, you know, coming to terms with our day-to-day illusions and what we tell ourselves is kind of at the root of, of, of my projects as of recent. And and I think respecting the illusion, too, is like, like, like what I said before, is like you got to wake up and eat breakfast and whatever. And, and you choose what those things are. And I think like, okay, everything's an illusion. Now, now what do you do? It's like you have to put meaning to it. So like, I think to not demonize the word illusion or not to degrade the word illusion, I think is uh, important in my work at the moment. Welcome to Review in Progress, the podcast about creativity. I'm your host, Kyle Colorado. We have a great guest for you today. He's a really good friend of mine. His name is Mike Castaney. He is a musician, an author, a tarot card curator. It's the best way I can describe it. As you can tell, he has a wide range of different projects, and we have a very diverse conversation because of that. We talk about originality in your art, how you'll always have influences, and it's impossible to create art in a vacuum. We also talk about his new projects, Best Tarot and Bad Ghosts, Surviving Literature of the Very Ancient Bad Ghost Compendium, and how those two projects play with the idea of reality being an illusion. It's a lot of fun. And we also talk about having a creative collaborator. How helpful it can be to have someone be a sounding board, how that can help with your creative journey. I really hope you enjoy this wonderful interview that I have with my friend, Mike Castaney. All right. Thank you again for joining us today. This is our second episode of the podcast. Still learning a lot. This is probably my fifth time I'm trying to record this. I got through most of the way on my most recent one, and then I had a phone call that I had to take, and I couldn't remember where, where I was, so we're doing it again. We're trying it again. I mean, that is actually, that is kind of part of the conversation that I have with my guest today, Mike Estaney, is that we're just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, and that includes my intros, um, but I do want to talk about um, my particular where I am currently in my creative journey. Um, It is the week of Labor Day. Labor Day was Monday. Today is Wednesday that I'm recording this. And uh, I don't know. I'm in a interesting spot. I I spent a lot of time yesterday working on this, the podcast. I created a trailer, put it out, got a little bit of, you know, love from, you know, my small circle of people who are, I guess, interested in seeing what happens. It felt good. But on Monday, I will say I had like a bit of a, a... I will say like a step backwards in a sense. I don't even know if it's a step backwards. It's just, I would say it's a little bit of a lower point in what has been past couple of weeks doing pretty good high points. So I guess it's keeping me humble, I suppose. I mentioned in my Carl Callen episode that I had uh, this issue. I wouldn't even say it was an issue, but this kind of this breakthrough after a comedian colleague of mine went on to a friend's podcast and they were asking him, they kind of goaded him into saying who was the worst comedian, you know, and they mentioned me being the one. And I will say uh, it, it, it affected me in a way because at that time when 
this particular comedian mostly saw me because he hadn't seen me recently, I would have probably agreed with him. But I think I have proven to myself and to a lot of other people who have known me that that's not the case anymore. I have definitely grown as a comedian, especially during this quarantine. I just really, I don't, something, I, something really turned the page, turned the corner, whatever you want to say. I turned something. And I just, I feel like I've done a lot better. So, you know, I've done really well. But the thing is, he showed up to the mic that, you know, we all go to on Monday, this down at the Brighton Bar. First time I've seen him in months, even before the pandemic. But it was all good. We had no hard feelings between each other. We were just chit-chatting and joking. It was no big deal. But the problem was, when it was my turn to perform, not only was I going up to perform, I was also taking over the mic as a host for the rest of the night because the normal host had to go home and take care of his kid. He, the kid was going to school for the first time tomorrow. Remotely, but he promised to go tuck her in. So I, you know, was just like, yeah, I have no problem doing it. But I think I just had a lot going on in my mind. I had this idea of like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I need to do well because I have to show someone that I am doing better. And also I have to take over the mic, so I have to remember who's after me. So I think I had a lot going on. And then about one-fifth into my set, this comedian, who's been sitting at this spot this entire time but was gone, walked back to the spot, which was sitting directly in front of the stage. And really, I think just threw me off my game, kind of rattled me, you know? I, I wanted to do, it, it felt like when I first started comedy. I really wanted to do so well, and because I wanted to do so well, I ended up not doing well. It was, so I guess it was, in that sense, a step back, but... I know I've done well. I know I've done better. I did literally a mic in public in Jersey City the night prior. And I had done really well to a group of strangers. And so I, I can't take that as a, oh, this is where I'm at. It just was, I guess, disappointing to show him that, like, hey, I am doing well. Like, you don't have to worry about me, but... He even said, you don't even have to talk to... He was, you know, he was talking to me about it. I think he kind of felt bad, because he did just kind of let it out. But, I don't know. I I want to do as best as I can, obviously. And I guess that's just a, a learning moment, you know? If I had to uh, review that set, as the name of my podcast implies, you know, I would give myself probably a 2 out of 5. Some laughs, but overall, wasn't the best. The jokes, I know, have worked, but I just think the performance wasn't there, which was, like, you know, a little bit of a disappointment, but, you know, it's like baseball or sports. Like, you'll get them next time. That's the only way I can think of it, you know? But other than that, it's been good with this, especially working on this podcast. This has been a nice, good creative outlet, so I'm hoping that... This continues to go. I have an, another interview with a good friend of mine tomorrow. We'll talk about that when he comes on the on the uh, podcast. But right now, let me actually let me tee you up for this next uh, this next uh, guest. And this was this was a fun one. I've I've done two interviews so far, and I have enjoyed both of them immensely, but for completely different reasons. 
this this guy, this this is a good friend of mine. I've known him for over a decade. Uh, his name is Mike Castaney. Um, and I met him as a drummer of a local like ska band, ska punk folk band. We talk about it, we touch on it like years ago. And then as he's moved from project to project, which has all been projects I've enjoyed, band called River City Extension. And then he was a part of a duo between him and, ooh, I want to say cellist, but I don't want to be wrong, but with a stringed instrument person, Rachel Galwell, I believe, uh, in an uh, outfit called Baba Sonia. And then as of like the last two years, he's been putting music out under his own name. Uh, it is, and, and, you know, he has been mostly like, I guess, analog, not so digital, but he's become more of a digital, like electronic artist, but not like EDM. Like he started off with some, some dances, dance-esque music, but recently he has been doing these, um, albums called like, for like, it, it's been ambient music for ambient people or his most recent one that he released during the quarantine Socially distant sounds for socially distant people. It's uh yeah, he's his whole I don't know. And I've said it in in the interview, but everything he's done it's kind of has felt like it's been leading up to this. Where he's throwing there's an um what we talk about during the interview, there's a bit of an irreverence for things that would normally be, I guess, mainstream accepted. But he just throws things at the walls to see what sticks. It's really like this was a very inspiring interview. And um I really hope you guys enjoy it. I don't even know what else to say. Like I feel like this is something you need to experience yourself. A couple of things before we get into it. Um one, during the interview, Mike mentions a date for I think he said three hundred BC. He meant to say three hundred C.E. And he texted me to be like, can we do a quick edit? Like, as if he wanted me to punch in and make sure that it sounds like he got the date right. Which I find very funny because part of his um, his current project, specifically the project Best Tarot, which, for those who don't know, and you should check it out because everything that he has going on will be in the show notes. It's a tarot deck of uh, cards that were drawn by people who had 60 seconds to memorize the card and then draw it from memory. And they're either professional artists or just amateur doodlers. And the whole prop, the whole point of that particular project, as you'll hear, was to prove that like memory and the way that you perceive things can vary from person to person. And especially when you have to draw things from memory and they're using a Sharpie to draw it. So I found it very funny that he was so worried about getting the date right and he wanted me... Like, I'm like, isn't that very... I'm thinking to myself, and Mike, I hope you're listening. This is very antithetical to your whole project. The brain is an imperfect computer, like you said. It may, it, mistakes happen, but I'm here to address it, so there's that. Um... Also, uh, this is since I'm I'm still so new to this, but I if you guys like this, please rate, review, and subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Share it with some friends if you think it's interesting. And before we get to the interview, I do want to give you a little sample of 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 Mike, but I don't want to. 
with the ambient stuff, I don't know, it just doesn't quite pop. So I'm actually going to put a single that he released last year called Breakfast right before this interview. It, I love the track. It's interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll play you a little snippet. You can find all of Mike's links in the show notes along with all of mine for myself and the show. And guys, I, I appreciate it and uh, enjoy Mike Castini. Thanks. right now we're recording right nice. now when i said we got i mean i literally <laughs> was like i got room noise because i recorded it but perfect yeah so how you been uh, i know we discussed a little bit before but uh good how's how's living down here uh i like it um down here is tom's river for those listening yeah um good i mean it's, it's quiet and i can get stuff done i'm a, a commuter now so i have to drive a lot more than i'm used to yeah that's not fun the the north to like on the way up and south on the way down that's never fun yeah but i enter this like i don't know if this is for all commuters but i enter like a trance like state where i'm at a point where 30 minutes just disappears from my day which is have you ever commuted before like that or is this no okay because first time that is 100 percent where i've gotten to work and go wow i have no recollection of the drive (laughs) whatsoever yeah it's like kind of scary but also cool uh it also sucks like you know, teleporting and losing <laughs> time. Um, and it, I guess like when I was, when I was touring, um, like playing music, you know, six hour drives would just disappear because you'd yeah. sleep. But, yeah. I mean, that's true. But yeah. like doing it broken up throughout the week is like very, very strange. So still getting used to it, but. That's, uh, wow. Cause I, I mean, I've never been on, well, I've been on six hour drives, but or a 15-hour drive, at least down to Bonnaroo, but that was mm. on shifts and, like you said, a nap. But that, I guess that was your commute for the longest time, technically. Uh, you would do, I, I mean... Or yeah, I'd always be prepared to do that drive. Yeah. Like, that was, like, going to be on my radar. Yeah, 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 you would have, you would, you'd be like, oh, well, in about a week, I'm going to do yeah. what would probably someone's, like, month's worth of commuting <laughs> in all in one shot, really. Yeah, and I think when I lived eight minutes from work, um, thinking about driving 30 minutes was like, fuck that, yeah, no that, way. <laughs> yeah, how did how did you get past that? That is... Uh, you just, I don't know, you just do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, There's yeah. no other way to really yeah, that's say it. It's like, this is just what I have to do now, and uh, I guess it's a mentality in itself. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I'm yeah. gonna. I'm so. After hearing one podcast from myself, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I say that's interesting a lot. Sure. It, yeah. <laughs> Whenever I discuss something like a concept that like I need to get across, I say like I think like the same way. Like yeah. it's almost like it is, uh, it is a, a sample, a, like a hip hop, like a, <laughs> yeah. someone has on like an NPC pad, and they're like, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think. <laughs> like who's li- who's listening to this? Someone. Someone. Sorry. (laughs) I'm so so sorry. Well, it doesn't sound so bad in context, but when you take it out of context, you're like, how? Also, yeah, if it's you, I I hate listening to my own voice. It's like, I was okay. I was surprisingly okay. I think that's because um, 
since I've been doing stand up, I've been recording myself a lot just to hear back. Right. So I've gone a little bit more like used to it in this sense. Where yeah. Just I, I'm just used to hearing. I, what I really hate is when I hear myself sound uh, unsure. And that's what I really don't like. Uh, like I can't listen to a set without you know wincing the entire time. If I'm if I can tell, I'm like I didn't rehearse enough. Mm-hmm. And you can see me struggling to get to the next word mm-hmm. because I'm so afraid of it being wrong. Gotcha. And but when I have a good set or even a set where I'm like, well, the jokes didn't do well, but I knew what I was talking about. It's a lot easier to get down. So this isn't as bad because it's a conversation. I'm not. If I'm thinking, it's usually just a thoughtful pause to get to another point. And I also know if that pause is too long, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. get rid of it. <laughs> sure, sure. Which is the wonderful thing. Like, I know people do video podcasts, and one day I will, but those will be, that'll be like, man, now I can't do like my remove a long, thoughtful pause anymore because it's on video. It's yeah, captured. That's, Almost- that's why you need to find like a visual aesthetic, like <laughs> signs or props to hold up when you know you're fucking up. <laughs> Or just some sort of classic old, like, oh, we'll be right back and just extend the pause even longer because there's just, it's like one of those old Carson bits where it's just like, oh, something's gone wrong. And it's like <laughs> an elephant running through a window. I don't know. but It's got to be that now. It's got to be that. Yeah. Just when it's, but extend the pause by 30 seconds when it's too long. If it's just like maybe, maybe four extra <laughs> seconds when it seems like an eternity, just extend it to way too long. Yeah. Yeah. An animated image of some sort. Um. But yeah, that's that's intimidating about, and that's an aspect of stamp comedy I never even thought about. Is you you must have to listen back to yourself to be like some people don't, and I think it hurts them for a long time until they start to realize. People are like I'm not going to record myself. I can remember. It's like no, you can't. Like, yeah, I mean maybe you can. And it's like this, bo- is, this is very subjective opinion in that sense, but it's just like I don't think you can. Yeah, I mean it's a vocally well, it is a conversationally performative art. Like you have to be able to to convey concepts to a bunch of different people. It's hard enough getting one idea across to one person in conversation. Especially because I will say that most comedy audience knows that you're trying to get to a joke. And it feels like if you're taking too long to get to that joke, they're like, why are you taking so long to get to that joke? You're like, I just stick with me here for a second. Just hold on, hold on. I'll get there. I'll get there. And yeah, no, it's, I was I was saying this on my on my intro, so I apologize if anyone's listening to these episodes back to back. That it's like a it's a type of English, but it's with different rules than most English. Right. Sometimes it's not grammatically correct because you can just drop words sometimes because people understand where you're going, mm-hmm. so you don't really need to say the rest of the sentence. People, you you kind of got them most of the way. Yeah. And if it's faster, you can just drop the rest of the sentence, which is fun because that means you're like oh, I don't have to say these words anymore. I can just get to the point where. I can make someone laugh. That's but that that's an amazing amount of confidence that I think you just brought out there. Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, I com- think that's I think it's commendable, and I think that's learned because me thinking me personally think about me dropping something in a sentence like I would. There's no way, like I would. <laughs> they would not. They would need me to repeat it a million times. Yeah. So I think there's like a learned empathy that I think comedians have, where um, they they can take people on that ride to where they're in control of it. Yeah. It's very interesting with like being a passive, you know, in enjoy enjoyer, I guess is the word of comedy. Consumer. Consumer. Yeah, consumer. I didn't want to like comedy. Consumer was the first word is like, no, we got to get it to a different word. But I'm like, well, that's a dumber word, but I'm just going <laughs> to say it because it's not consumer. It's, <laughs> if I could do my best not to throw in capitalistic words into my, 
in my conversations. I do my best. I hate the fact that I have to use content a lot these days because technically sure. that's what I'm creating. I yeah. use that in my intro. I almost wanted to delete it. I was like, no, I'm going to move forward. But I just replace everything with the word commodity. <laughs> <laughs> like how Smurfs use Smurf for everything. Exactly. I say commodity, commodity. for <laughs> Babe, I commodity you. <laughs> I mean, love is a commodity in a sense. So. <laughs> But being uh, a consumer of comedy compared to being a uh, someone who provides it, it's it's different because you start to listen to comedy and you start like I can sometimes even professional comedians see joke coming. I'm I still enjoy it because I still like. I guess it's like someone. I guess it's a sausage maker being like, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen it, I still like this sausage. You yeah, know? yeah. Also, it's the craft. Yeah, you know, it's like a, a painter's not going to get upset be, being like. I know what pigments and, and medium he used to create this. Yeah. This is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> this is an original. This is an original. So derivative. That pink, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that is, that is one of those parts of creativity where you're like, is it yours? You know? Right. Like the, cause that, that is something I've always thought. Like there's jokes where I know I'm like, I definitely drew a lot of inspiration from this particular comedian. Mm-hmm. But I'm doing my best to hide it so it doesn't seem like I'm doing a straight ripoff or yeah. a, you know, impression of them. I think you're uh, the the beautiful thing is your, you know, futile attempt to try to hide it. You know, that's yeah. gonna that's going to inherently be you at the end of the day on the stage. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's like a. I think it would help us to, our creators in general, to understand that anything that we do create is like is more emergent than it is original. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, it's one of those things, I think, when it comes to creativity, you have to realize that you are your influences. Right. But usually, I think the best, you know, stuff that people can make is the stuff where you take your influences and becomes bigger than the sum of its parts. Right. Know? Right. That's. I think that's the phrase I'm looking for, where it's just like the sum is bigger than the whole of the parts or whatever. Right. And I think a lot of pieces go into place there. It's yeah. like, um, excuse me. No, it's all right. Um, that's why editing exists. Yeah. I had to edit out a lot. We had a little bit of Coronas at the last one. It's just like, <laughs> we'll just, you know, make this seem super professional, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of moving parts there because uh, there's, you know, opportunity and there's cultural context and there's where and and what time are you and doing even that your own joke inter- interpretation you know sure and that um, i i even i even felt that with when i played music too and i can imagine you feel the same that that, that you're not mm. uh, you're not creating something completely in a vacuum you're yeah well i think that's like that might be a part that happens in everyone's creative journey is like they have to come to terms with the fact that like so much has happened before them to make their their art justified right um that like it might not necessarily be original and it might be emergent from the cultural and uh you know environmental things that they grew up in um but like it's inherently going to be them because it's passed through the filter of their own experience yeah um not to wax too intellectual. Yeah, and it, it is, <laughs> especially when it comes to creativity. You want to be like, oh well, this is this. You know, and get too. Yeah, but people get hung up because, like, the second that they're proven that they're not completely original, they get depressed or like go on some strange, like, like outburst of things like, that they probably don't actually want to do. You yeah. know, because uh, 
they haven't like emotionally came to terms with being part of a society creating art. That's opposed true. To being I, just like out on the fringe original person. You know, that's actually very interesting. I had mentioned it um, before in my last, and I'll briefly touch on it here. But talking about originality, I was so when I started comedy, I, I started late, so I was a really was like I need to get good fast because I feel like there's I don't want to say a window of being relevant, you know, but it's just you you feel like you 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 feel like you're starting the race a little late, and well, you're like whether it's true or not, you're at least lighting a fire under your ass exactly. for productivity, which I I condone personally. <laughs> yes, as your friend, but but I will <laughs> say there is a dark side to that coin, sure, where you're not focusing enough on the fundamentals. Mm. It's like learning how to shoot a three-pointer before you're learning how to dribble, I think is a really good analogy that I just thought of up at the top of my head. So nice. I feel real good about that That's one. That's great. But yeah, I think the problem was I was so afraid of being unoriginal and taking topics that have been well-worn that I didn't learn how to write a joke first. And I think that kind of hampered my development for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the the quarantine really got me to a point where I can... I was able to write a joke a lot better mm. coming because that's what I was telling you before coming back out. I've had a lot of successes, even in a very weird time in human history <laughs> to be a performer, especially a comedian where the environment for a comedy for comedy to really exist. Well, is a small dark room <laughs> with like low ceilings and everyone packed on top of each other. Maybe a little drunk. <laughs> that does not hurt. And, Everyone laughing together, which is the, you know, expelling air from your respiratory system, which right now is very dangerous to do. Yeah. So doing it outside, it is different because even I went to go see Mike Birbiglia and John Mullaney at the uh, Mammoth Racetrack. They Mm -hmm. were doing like an outdoor show. Cool. And even, and I've seen them both and it's fun because the... The the um the laugh is as loud as it ever is, but it just gets choked really quick because it just kind of goes up ah. and then that's it. It's like when you have these small wood panel rooms, yeah. It re- like you if you've ever been to a comedy club or anything where that works, you ha- it's like why does it look same, like this? Same exact thing with music, yeah, and especially performing. I remember playing small clubs, playing basements, and then even coffee houses, right? Coffee it, houses, yeah, and then and then playing like my first festival. And like hitting a crash symbol and being like, where did it? Where did it go? Where did it go? Where did the sound fucking go? That's interesting. And I I have to listen. The first time I had to listen to drums in my monitor in the speaker next to me because I couldn't really hear what was happening. Yeah, because you were losing. Yeah, it was like some crazy vertigo. So yeah, yeah, it's a totally different. um, You know, if we were talking about like painters and mediums before, that's a totally different medium. to paint on it is, and and it is it is different. And um, I had one. Uh, open mic where it also was it's, all, it's something that kind of gave me a little bit of a breakthrough because I was able to I felt a little bit more comfortable outside because I've done so many birthday parties as mm. a as like one of my side gigs yeah so doing it outside kind of gave me this weird like oh I'm just in a performance mode and I've done that with kids so many times and I was just doing a joke I did one joke about OnlyFans the you know yeah the, the porn site <laughs> I did that it's not in ter- it not terribly gross. It's not overly, but there's you know a couple of things where it goes. And then I was doing a joke about my roommates, Kevin, Mazur, and Aaron, mm-hmm. and they were we were playing uh, Monopoly, and they were arguing. And Aaron got so upset during a trade that she's like, "Kevin, if you don't make this trade, I'll suck your dick." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> she got so you know she got so frustrated she forgot how to make a threat." You know that's. <laughs> 
Thank you. I appreciate the laugh. Um, I like no, I like. But I I kind of pulled back on the word dick at because I'm outside. I'm out. I'm in Hoboken at the park where like it was like where uh, Frank Sinatra Amphitheater, the outdoor amphitheater right on the Hudson was. And I pulled back and I was like, why? I just did this OnlyFans joke. <laughs> so I said that line very loud, and a family who was there, older family, no kids. But they turned and they were looking very like, oh, what, what, what would you just say? And I was like, oh, do you want me to repeat the whole joke? And I just did the whole joke. And I realized, I'm like, oh, I'm looking at them. I am now, this isn't me performing anymore. This is a conversation. And I was like, oh, huh. something that I've always understood in, intellectually was something that was like, oh, I get it now on the inside. Interesting. Yeah. Um, a conversation and like... In uh, in the context of being in front of a crowd and also these people, is that yes. right? okay. Yeah, it was. It, I realized this is the kind of energy I should have. Gotcha. When I'm doing it with everybody. Okay. Yeah. 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 It was. You, you know, That's a it, funny, funny learning process. Yeah. There. It is. It is a very weird way for me to yell "dick" out in <laughs> Frank Sinatra Amphitheater outside of the park in Hoboken, New Jersey. Yeah. But you, you, you know, I'm not nitpicking. Sometimes here. you got us. Yeah. You just got to go out into the. <laughs> you just got to go into the park, <laughs> out in the world, and yell expletives and just different things because, yeah, yeah. You, you need to. <laughs> it's the world we're living in now. Yeah. You just got to do it. You got to let it out. But, but we're. I'll gonna, be in the park later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, after this, we'll, we'll find the nearest park <laughs> just to yell. But I, I want to go back to the, uh, your music history because that's that's actually where we first met. Was yeah. uh, I can almost I think I can pretty much nail it down to a a year and a month. Wow! I almost want to say it was two thousand seven at the Berkeley Library when George Washington Revenge ah. played a show. <laughs> okay, I remember specifically because I was following my friend Brian at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, his like weird like Christian band, but I was friends with him and I had real no affiliation with the band besides just like I'm helping Brian load in and out equipment. <laughs> right. Because that was for me my huge ska period. I was like, ooh, there's a trumpet here? Right. Is there gonna be a ska band? Because that was like the rage <laughs> sure. in all of New Jersey. It felt like it was, Hold on, is that a trumpet? Is that a trumpet? That must <laughs> so, uh, where, some, where where are the checkers? I know that there has to be a checker. <laughs> there has to be a checker design here. <laughs> Rummaging through papers. Yes. <laughs> just just <laughs> Looking through notes. Oh, God, there's got to be something. <laughs> and then you guys went on. It was you, Matt, Christina, and Nate at the time, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And Ooh. I was like, oh, wow, this band is fantastic. It was because it wasn't just, you know, ska, folk, punk. I think that would be, you know, the, the three. Yeah. Bunch, and then there was a bunch of other things. That, that was, was what kinda, ba- bands kind of were. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like, hey, you know how we like music? Do you want to be in a music band? <laughs> what genre? I told you the genre. What, one, the of music. The, one of the three that are out. <laughs> Well, you guys threw in a bunch more, yeah. Too. But and then I think I followed. No, it was it was June because I went. I saw you on my birthday at the Java Joint in Tom's River. Okay. And I remember Christina being like, "Why did you see us? We all have the same." I was like, "I just liked you guys that much." <laughs> and then I just started hanging around. That's and awesome. Then, so yeah, that it's been fun for me to watch you go from George Washington Revenge and then transition into River City Extension mm-hmm. and then do that for what, seven years, something like that? Yeah, I did did hard time in River City yeah, Extension. Yeah, it was. It was it was it was uh you did your service and you, you yeah. really <laughs> Yeah, it was a while. It was a while. And then you moved into uh, what was it? I was listening to one of your podcasts today. What was the what's your title? Director of Coffee. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what was that? You're 
was one of, it wasn't your podcast. It's one of the podcasts you were. I was, I've, oh. what I've learned in the two episodes I've done is that research and stalking are hmm. a very fine line. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. Um, yeah, that was a coffee roasting yep. podcast. Yes. I, I did like a really short snippet about yep. Yep. coffee. And it was like seven minutes, like perfect. That's something real quick for me. Yeah. To, and, I was, and I recently did a podcast on like esoteric yep. information and mysticism. <laughs> I got, I got, I got what I could for that. I was like, man, this is a lot in a different direction that I need to go. <laughs> but I did listen to a lot and it was a very good podcast. Cool. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so you went from that and then it seems like you went to, you were with Rachel doing Baba. Uh, Baba Sonia. Yeah. And and then I feel like in the last two years, you've been really putting things out for yourself. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 I had to, I had to, I went, I was like, I gotta go through Spotify and see when I put <laughs> things out. So it was like 2018 and then. Yep. So you've been doing things, you know, for yourself for the past two years. And it just, especially in these last two years, everything, it felt like everything coming together that all of your interests mm-hmm. and just kind of melding like, oh, this is, this is what Mike. Oh man, I'm so glad you said that. That's like the one of the highest compliments because oh. I, when I feel good about the work that I do, uh, recently, that's what I feel has happened. Is like everything just kind of is, is me now. Yeah. Now and I don't have to worry too much about. Yeah, because you were always, and this isn't like a dig. It's just like you were always like supporting other people, right? Or in a you know, I would say, and and with, with yeah, it, it was like you and Rachel and with. Baba Sonia, I want to make. I don't know why I'm so afraid to say it wrong, like the name, <laughs> but it for whatever reason there's a nervousness in my and in, in my energy, like don't get it wrong. Sure, uh, yeah. There's always been like this aspect of like really heavy teamwork. Yeah, you know, like I've I've been like um very supporting roles. I've been like editorial staff. I've been like in the background pulling strings. Editorial um, staff in what? Like uh, co-writing songs. Oh, okay, okay. Um, okay. It, was just, it was just kind of like a. No, it was it was a quick, best, it was probably the best metaphor. way to say it, and I was just yeah. like, "Wait, was there something I'm missing?" Yeah, quick, uh, uh, quick yeah. metaphor there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think like music production, songwriting, drums, playing instruments, little like uh, design work P- here, putting and there. your stamp, but not being it your own in that sense, right? And I think it's all just been one big path to discovering like the inherent attitude that I want to yeah. throw out into the world and. Um, because even, what I, what I want on my gravestone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cause even with your two most recent projects, which would be the book mm-hmm. and then the ta- which came out 15 days apart as I looked on through your Instagram today. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they did. Yeah. That's, which is crazy that back to back you had these two publishing in that sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they were both worked on kind of in the same time. And I think like the formatting, of the products to go to the printing place kind of fell together. And I was thinking like, why would, like I'm not necessarily cannibalizing my profits. I'm not this like huge corporate. No, um, I'm not like fucking Radiohead putting out yeah, albums, putting, putting out in rainbows. And, yeah. And I'm today. I know those are way like in terms yeah. of my time, but <laughs> those are the first two that popped into my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just some like guy in Tom's river who, uh, likes, psychotherapy likes kabbalah likes music likes tarot and it just it's i feel like that's one of those things that people would be afraid to like oh i'm gonna put these you know different parts that might not be as i don't want to say mainstream but that would just be the best word where it's just like as like widely accepted Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna add that into my art because that won't be 
quote unquote commercially viable. Mm-hmm. It's just, but it seems like you you're just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks, and you're just trying to express yourself in the best way possible. Right. Um, but I, I guess I think I'm doing it with the with the attitude with respect to the attitude that I'm trying to present. Um, like I think there, when you said I started doing stuff for me in 2018, like under Mike Staney, uh, that was a lot of throwing shit against the wall. And that was a lot of stuff that did not stick, but a lot of stuff that I still love and still keep out yeah, there. Exactly. Cause why um, would you, why would you get, I don't know. That seems, it, I, there was an attitude of my time where it's just like, no, 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 if it didn't work, let's hide it. Yeah. But now it's like, why? You know, you can see the evolution. Right. So I think that's important to me. It's like this weird career like storyboard that I can kind of set up for myself um, and kind of so people have something to go back on and see like where I came from and that like, um, you know, if things were didn't connect with people, if things were too quirky to be accepted, um, I think a lot of artists are in that position where they're creating stuff and uh, there's kind of an attitude of indifference that people have about yeah. their creations. I don't want people to feel bad about those things. I want to celebrate those things. Yeah. So, I think that's interesting because see, there's that interesting part again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for a comedian, you're always trying things out in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. Your audience is your sounding board. Whereas a book, your, your tar- a music, a music, a, a music, a music, a song, or an album can be made in in sort of a vacuum from from audience ears mm. and then just be like I hope you guys like this. I mean there's a right. lot of like, you know, we've put out things before and we kind of understand what our audience is like and maybe we can push them in a different direction, but for comedians it's like hey guys, what do you think? It's a it's a yeah. Stand-up comedy is very high risk, very high reward. <laughs> yes. And uh I don't take I don't say that lightly. <laughs> I have been in the room like I've had uh friends who do stand up uh this isn't about you this is about someone else yeah who would just go up and just bomb and we I, mean, t- I appreciate we- you not saying it's me, but i get that it's me understand <laughs> no it's, it's not you <laughs> and i'm sure you've bombed before i mean we've talked oh, yeah. we've talked about it but this specific person um would just go up and bomb and we talk about it for hours afterwards and what could we do better next time and the next time they'd go up do the same thing and bomb and we'd talk about it and whatever and it was just like man like i couldn't i had enough empathy or sorry i had enough compassion to like want to stick with them through that um but it's almost like i i was trying to grasp in the dark for the concept of empathy of being up in front of people and just being you with a microphone f- yeah. failing and i couldn't i couldn't like contextualize that yeah, feeling i had a, so you try to be there as much as you can but so when i say high risk high reward that that's just my yeah, my yeah. quick snippet of like this shit's intense <laughs> and appreciated but I, I mean even people who i've known who have gone from music to comedy to try it out to do it forever it's like oh even with like even with me with a guitar mm-hmm. singing which is not that much more of a setup than me talking at least the guitar is there to kind of provide yeah you have chords you yeah. have a melody you have a harmony when you have a when you have a microphone in front of people i'd imagine uh you better have some good material yeah. well yeah, you better I be mean, able to talk well and get your point across for sure but you have to learn in front of people yeah which is fun right or le- to learn that in front of people yeah yeah, yeah but but it's 
it, but what you were saying with your, you know, trying things out, it might not stick, but you're not, there's a different risk in that where mine is more ephemeral. It's like, I say it, people mm-hmm. hear it, they react or they don't. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. Right. And they, it's, they, gone, and they could, it's gone forever. Right. They could forget about it. But and... with yours is like, we can revisit it mm-hmm. and see like, oh, I can see why it didn't stick. And why does he still have that out there? But sure. it's very interesting that you keep it there because you want to celebrate it's harder. I'm just saying it's harder for like someone like me, a comedian, to celebrate my failures because I'm not going to produce or put put so much work into my failures. I'm going to try something out and then maybe if it doesn't work the first time, work it out till it does or throw it away. Yeah. Whereas yours is like, it didn't work, but I put a lot of time into it and it's going to sit here whether you like it or not. Right. I guess, yeah, in, in comedy, I guess the, the, the visceral reaction is the product at that point. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I guess with the stuff that doesn't stick that I keep up, um, there are a few people who it connects with yeah. and like there must be a few more somewhere. I mean, I have a relatively small radius of uh, people my products and, and music reach. Yeah. So um, I guess it's kind of like a, it's like a weird like lottery you're playing. Yeah. Um, you you pick the numbers you want to play, and you know you you hope that they come up, and that them coming up is someone being like, "Oh shit, I feel that way too," or yeah. "Oh, I made that, something like that once," and like, "Oh, maybe I'm not crazy for thinking that way." Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think my my general, I guess I keep saying the word attitude, but I think it's just celebrating my own obtuseness, really. <laughs> and I think that's that's something you don't see. It's, you know? it, yeah, it should it should be fun, and it should be. Um, I think uh, I'm not going to say my personal obtuseness should be respected, but humanity's obtuse obtuseness in the dichotomy of realizing it's obtuse and ridiculous should be respected in a sense. Yeah, that I, I, I that's I mean that's why when I was like, oh, who should I put on as a guest? It's someone who like it seems like there is a total indifference to. I don't want to say, like audience reaction or something like that but you're just like if it doesn't work it doesn't work but you're gonna go into it at full tilt mm-hmm. and make sure that it's as well produced and well and well loved and cared for it as anything that would you know pop be popular in that sense. yeah and i think that that's what might uh might separate like uh you know the honesty of your art from something that is more you know, diluted or yeah, uh, saturated with your interests, like we were talking about before. Maybe, yeah, no. But <laughs> I, how did you get to that point? Because it, it's not something that someone walks into. I mean, it's not someone you, you don't start stand up. You know, yeah. at fourteen because you're like, I don't have any hormones to mess with my stuff. You do it when you're nineteen, twenty, twenty one, or wait till twenty nine and a half, like I did. Right, you feel somewhat confident that I can go up, stand up, some stage, and hopefully deal with the. Uh, overwhelming indifference of a crowd because that's what you're going to deal with a lot. <laughs> right. So how did you get? How did you get to that point? Uh, I think it's just the constant destruction of my own identity. <laughs> like that is <laughs> a loaded <laughs> sentence that I am so ready to unpack. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Have to tra- uh, you're gonna have to charge me for this. No. You're, <laughs> you are now a psychotherapist, Kyle Grimm. <laughs> Um, Kyle Colorado. Thank you. Kyle I was going to say, I, was like, I don't want to be mean, but this is under, yeah, this is going under Kyle Colorado. Yeah, nice. Did, did I ever tell you why? I told you why. Uh, I think so. Yeah, it was just a comedian named Kyle Grooms who literally yeah, was right. bo- literally born in the town that I live next to now. So Gotcha. And so it's just like time to, and it's good because I had two years of Kyle Groom and now it's mm. time, it's time to shed that and as a phoenix right. arise as Kyle Colorado 
somewhat porn sounding comedian name. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It, it, I was, it, I was, and also, I was going to make the Phoenix reference immediately before you just said Phoenix. So yeah. my mind is on fire right now. Yeah, it's we're vibing. <laughs> we're vibing. We're um, So yeah, constant construction or uh, deconstruction of my identity. Let's see where that came from in my brain parts. Um, I think I decided to put things out as my name, Mike Castaney, um, which is, I think, a big step for any creators to be like, this is me because it's not only it's not like it's under a name of a band right as a collective yeah it's, it's like no this is me it's, it's a relatively benign name uh castani was created in ellis island yeah. out of castalnik so yeah, it so. doesn't even make any sense castani how it's spelled how it looks culturally yeah. doesn't it's it does it, it yeah i guess it is in that sense it, since it was a misspelling of what was what, uh castalnik castalnik yeah. which is origin uh, ukrainian ukrainian, ukrainian. So it is a bastardized, diluted version of tradition. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's how I, mean, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, this is great. <laughs> but so you 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 decided because, but that's still who you are. I mean, regardless of where where yeah. where Ellis Island fucked up back in the day <laughs> of getting it of spelling the wrong spelling the name wrong. Yeah, no, I grew to love it. It's just yeah. its own little thing. Um, but I think like I think we're we're what we deal with now, I think people our age, younger, I think actually, you know what? I'm going to say fuck it and everybody is dealing with I trying to. I think it's just a little bit more prominent right now as yeah, opposed to back in the day. Everyone's trying to brand themselves. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. we, we need the branding because um, we're kind of mirrors to society in that way. Um, and I think I come from the background of bands and of like different art projects where you need like a catchy name or you need something to be able to explain and have an interview with as we're having a podcast about it the irony <laughs> the meta yeah of right now of what's going um, on so like I, I was like what's the most like benign thing i can do um to have like a a, a collection of things that i create under and like why even bother thinking of some catchy name that i'm probably going to hate in two months right. and why don't i just have something that i'm most likely going to have to live with forever yeah forever <laughs> yeah um so I think that gave me like a, a initial onset of confidence to be like, what what could this be? It's yeah. like, well, I decide. So yeah. it, um, I, it does it does make it seem where it's like, okay, this is me. Yeah, and everything about it, it's going to be the good, the bad, and right. the ugly. Yeah, and uh, what it, wherever my tastes kind of guide me, I wind up creating something under that, and I'm still throwing shit against the wall, and um, I've been a. Uh, uh, Grateful that a couple projects that I've done recently, recently, yeah, um, have stuck and that people actually like kind of enjoy and, yeah. and latch themselves onto. Are, are you still afraid when you put something out that it's not going to hit? Like, is there still? Because I mean, there's a sense of at least what you're putting out into the world through Instagram or you know, yeah. It just seems like this is what it is, and if you take it, that's great. If you don't, no big deal. But is there still like a I really want this to hit a little bit? For sure. Oh yeah, I would love. There's no greater feeling than like putting something out in the world that you worked really hard on and then someone connecting with it because it it justifies your experience on the planet in a way. It almost justifies your existence. Yeah, and and not to say that you need other people's validation, but we're operating 
with our central nervous systems. Yeah. Like none of this shit is real. Like yes. the, the manifest reality is like <laughs> not even actually like proven. It's a weirdest subjective experience. Uh, yeah, with, the fact that under- my green and your green can be two different greens yeah. blows my mind, but I have to just go, no, nah, I need to go to we work do, today yeah, or have, do whatever I have to do today. Yeah, we have to like eat fucking breakfast and understand <laughs> that like there might be an objective reality that we're never really going to have to get into. So yes, if you like my tarot deck that I created, amazing. <laughs> yes. Like I'm stoked that like you have an opinion about this. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I definitely want people. To- <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you want. <laughs> I, so yeah, when, when people connect to something that I create, it's um, and I, I think everything that I just that little rant I just went on. Um, with that being said, when I do put something out, um, it's usually with that in mind to mm-hmm. some extent, and it's me laughing at myself, sounding like an idiot explaining <laughs> those things too. Yeah, um, because it is. It's it, it. It's funny when we get into more heady philosophical debates. Or talks about these particular topics where it's like, oh, does even, ex- you know, reality even exist? But it's almost a way to be able to let you get through reality by saying, this might not even exist. Right. Well, I think people, it's like, it, yeah, it might not really exist. It's a great sentence yeah. because it is absolute, like our brains are actually absolutely creating an illusion yeah. for us to function in the world. Um, we can tell how faulty it is by, by like you said, with your, um, your tarot cards. It's, what if for those who don't know, it's a deck of cards, yeah, drawn by people who are either artists or professional doodlers. I'm trying to get the copyright a- off the uh, top a- of my head. Am- amateur doodlers. Amateur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, I'm sorry. All right. A- amateur doodlers. Uh, they get a 60 seconds look at a card and then draw it from memory. Yeah, and I mean, and that's perfect. Memory, memory. It not only is it memory; it's also your ability. Mm-hmm. So maybe you have perfect memory, but you don't have the skill set to. Well, you're also using a Sharpie, too. That, too. So, that, it's that is also super unwieldy and yeah. annoying to draw fine lines. So, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of, like, blockages from memory to page. Right. There is the actual memory itself. Yeah. Then you have the, your actual talent of drawing, and then you have a imperfect tool mm-hmm. to recreate it on a piece of paper. Right. And so, whatever comes out, comes out is that does that come into your theory of like one thousand percent i think that's why why this deck what was important to me it makes i mean it's um, it's cool and it's it's not something you see people usually take i mean coming from a very outsider perspective people usually take tarot cards very seriously yeah it's, it's almost there's a bit of a reverence to them either if it's not a hundred percent real people just buy it just to buy a you know a deck for just to read but not really be serious mm-hmm. or they're very it, for you it's just like the meaning is in the meaning of the cards not the cards themselves and how ornate they are yeah yeah or or both you know i mean this tarot deck wouldn't exist without the other ones oh for sure so, and i'm so not and this like, is and this is not to completely dump on the tarot cards that came before mm-hmm. but it almost does seem like you could just draw up your own tarot cards and draw them the the value comes from what they mean, not the cards themselves. Sure. Yeah. It's yeah. a tight little wrap package of all, yeah. all of that stuff you just said <laughs> kind of put together. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, coming to terms with with our, our day-to-day illusions and what we tell ourselves is kind of at the root of, of, of my projects as of recent. Um, Which is... And I, I, and I think respecting the illusion, too, is like... 
you like like what I said before, it's like you got to wake up and eat breakfast and whatever. Yeah. Like you got to do the things that physically get yeah. you moving, and you, and you choose what those things are. And yeah. I think like, okay, everything's an illusion. Now, now, what do you do? Right. It's like you have to put meaning to it. So, like, I think uh, to not demonize the word illusion um, or not to degrade the word illusion, I think, is uh, important in my work at the moment. That I mean, I think it, it's almost freeing when you realize things could just be an illusion in that sense where you're like, this might not even be real. But even if you're accepting it to be real mm-hmm. or at least like real enough for you to get up in the morning. Yeah. It's good. Just be like, I, I buy I buy into what's happening. Sure. You know? Yeah. There's there's codes of morality. There's evolution. Yeah. There's religion. There's, you know, what, whatever, whatever makes you, you go. But yeah. It's all out there, um, and um, I think that we just need to find our own personal significance yeah. with it. Yeah, uh, but I have a because I haven't haven't had the chance to purchase the book. Is the book also kind of in line with that? The uh, let me actually I wrote it down because I want uh, bad Su- ghost. Such a good interview where I, I love it. Listen, man, <laughs> if I'm going to do this, I'm doing it right. You're doing um, it. Bad ghost surviving literature of the very bad ghost compendium. Yeah. <laughs> So is that is that something that falls in line with best tarot or anything else? I, I think it kind of does. It's um because you said it was like an experimental book, and it doesn't look like any book that is most books. I yeah, would say. it's only like thirty something pages. Yeah, um, and I drew it all in sharpie. Um, yeah, so the aesthetic is there from from best tarot. Yeah, which is why it seemed like oh, it makes sense that it was only fifteen fifteen days apart. It does keep kind of seem like oh, this is. This is the aesthetic of at least right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I've, I've kind of, I fell in love with how, how that stuff kind of works yeah. or how it looks too. Like, just like the stark marker on page. Because everyone has that in their house. Yeah. You know, it's not. But you're kind of putting putting it on a pedestal a little bit, which is fun. Yeah. That's the joke is like, I think when I showed the, 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 the title page to my friend Richie, I'm like, look, it even has a title page. <laughs> and I couldn't stop laughing about it. He's like, yeah, Mike, that's how books work. <laughs> You're like, but no, you don't understand. I did this in Sharpie. <laughs> yeah, so that's my uh, obtuseness that I'm trying to advertise. Um, but yeah, the the Bad Ghost book was kind of, um, it's a, it's kind of the creative runoff of reading countless books on mysticism and uh, and also reading like stuff about the history of religion and stuff um and how seriously we take things when we think it's older than it is yeah like there so much that i learned about religion and um and just different mystic texts and tomes and whatever um it's actually like falsely old like people like people think it's written in 2000 bc when actually it was written in 300 bc during this portion of uh, of history yeah yeah um because it needed to resonate with the specific people at the time oh. um so we're so it was just so like wax is ancient to prove its point like these things have always existed this is old and people kind of hold that on a pedestal yeah um so it was kind of my like reactionary uh you know my uh reactionary thoughts to that. yeah because you did say that it's, it's an older tome than it actually is at least in what if i remember correctly reading on the uh, Instagram post that you had, yeah, that it's like that the book is like an older tome than it actually is. But I think I might have been reading. Well, yeah, over. it's called like the very ancient. Yeah, I don't even remember. <laughs> I got it written down. Um, the v- surviving literature of the very bad ghost compendium. Right. So it is. So you're just oh, okay. So yeah, that and, that makes sense. Where you're and and it goes through a bunch of mystical formats. Like 
here's a ritual for dispelling what I what I call ghosts, which are just like, you know, if you try to open up a soy sauce packet and it gets everywhere, a ghost did that. <laughs> you know, that's how all religions work at the yeah. root of it. It's yeah, like, this is yeah. the reason why this shit happens when, no, it isn't. But if you act like it does and you create a pragmatic way to dispel that, like, you are both wrong and right at the same time. Yeah. yeah. But if you take it too seriously and everything's a ghost, then you're probably going to fuck yourself in a big way. <laughs> so rinse and repeat and plug that into any religion and you might have a little okay so equation you're, you're kind of poking fun at the idea that like you were just saying before just just so i understand this might not everyone might get this i just want to make sure i have my head wrapped around <laughs> this is that you're making fun of like the fact that these old ancient to- tomes tombs old <laughs> and tombs the the tomes you found of the tombs right, um, right they're not as old as they and they were written of the time for those people for that particular audience yeah but because they're old and we have for whatever reason, as people have this big reverence for what is old. Exactly. That it it must be literally the truth that we've been looking for this entire time because they figured it out when the world when we barely had any civilization. Right. They're and like, it, oh yeah, no, they clearly had everything. They could totally fix my nine to five job life that I have right now if I just listen to this <laughs> ancient tome. But that was specifically written to an audience, not because they were writing something for the ages. Yeah. And I think like it's old and it's also been like passed through so many translations, so many different societies. And um, yeah, I think I think you got it. Yeah. Got okay, it. good. Uh, but I want to make sure that I but, understood. But with that being said, the book is extremely trite. Um, you might people won't get that. I don't think from reading it. Maybe yeah. they will. Um, that was at the heart of it when I was creating it. Um but it's just it's I think it's too ridiculous to be taken as seriously as we're talking about it right now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the the intent is always if it's if it's ridiculous, it's still an intent, right? You know, so it, I just wanted to make That's sure what I, I tell I'm, myself at night. <laughs> <laughs> just a, just something written on on your ceiling as you go to bed, <laughs> spray painted. <laughs> You're not going to use a sharpie again, jeez. Oh, um, damn! I missed an opportunity. Yeah, you did. Um, but. Oh, that's that. That's that's funny because it's. I also think anything that people just revere as old, you know, as good is just because it's old. And I always found very funny is like, do you not see the inherent value of what's going on right now? And that's in art. I think people probably take Shakespeare way too, you know, way too seriously yeah. when he was literally writing for an audience sure. that was at the time just like it was pulp, it was pop, it wasn't really like high art. But over the time. It became like it aged well, I guess. Exactly. Because (laughs) I think, well, people revered it as Mm -hmm. it aged well. Because, I mean, he was creating new words. People complain about rappers doing that right now. (laughs) I'm like, he was like, people like people have done the same things over and over throughout the times. But Mm. because we have Shakespeare in the park, that's better than what's happening right now. Sure. And I think that's with any art form. And that could, and, but it's funny that it's even within the decades. Like, well, obviously, 70s classic rock was the height of music. I'm like, the height of music? (laughs) The height of music. I don't, I love it and I enjoy it, but like, we're going to just be like, well, this was the perfect time. Like everything, everything just merged and now we're just on a down. Oh my God. Yeah. We are, our love for the past that actually, the romanticized past is insane. It is. But it's like, and, and it's funny to hear that even in mysticism, there's still, oh yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. It's obviously everything's like ancient and old. So everything that is ancient and old must be the best right i i mean and and not not to get way too esoteric but i've been reading a lot about the kabbalah let's go esoteric. Uh, yeah, okay esoteric here we go uh down the rabbit hole um like uh the hermetic kabbalah 
uh, they revere a text called the, I'm going to pronounce it wrong yeah. because this is how I work, is a Sefer Yetzirah. Um, to my ears, perfect. Yeah. Um, and people think it's like extremely old and and the same way we were discussing art, you know, mm-hmm. original without without any reference, you know, of God, of the creator, of, of, the a, go- of a vacuum that was just brought down from the heavens in, through this person right. who wrote it and out into the fingertips. But really it was uh, most likely, I wasn't there obviously, but a group of, uh, you know, Jewish mystics trying to tame the idea of the Gnostic mysticism that was popping up at the time and grab those people, uh, grab their attention and fit it into the context of their religion. Um, so, I mean, even though it's taken so many different forms and it is an old text and it, it is a beautiful text and it does say a lot of cool shit that I love. Um, I think we can take those cool things, um, as cool things as a truth. Yeah. Um, but it, we don't have to be dogmatic about the stuff that we love. Um, maybe that's the, the goal. Is, so is that, I mean, then with what you've been producing, it feels like you're not dogmatic to anything that you produce. You're just like, this is a cool thing. Yeah. I like this. Let's not, let's, let's give it the proper love, but let's not revere it. Sure. And, and do it until it stops working for you. Yeah. You know, I, I set up constrictions with the tarot deck where, um, you know, people looked at it for 60 seconds, turned it over, started drawing and whatnot um and those were the little constrictions and sure there was wiggle room but that was the format that happened to work if that stopped working or if that felt like shit or if people were like i i hate doing this i probably wouldn't have done it but yeah. i think uh the, the important thing is to is to just be pragmatic mm-hmm. about uh about yeah. your work that's yeah, i mean that's a that's a really good way of i think it's just a good way of going through life is being pragmatic as opposed to being so romantic or so beholden to one thing Mm. that you're able to because you i mean you've moved from you know being in a band Mm -hmm. to to this in the span of what five six seven years you know yeah yeah when when did you leave river city extension 2012 or 13 or something okay yeah so i was in it so uh, like seven years ish yeah so so, i mean and you went from just being you know a part of a larger thing to yourself putting out your own you mm-hmm. know and just i don't know you it just doesn't seem like you're like oh i i i don't know I, it's, i'm trying i have an idea mm-hmm. but the words have not formed around the idea perfectly you ever have that where absolutely that's that's the one thing <laughs> i'm surprised i went this long like saying sentences and i'm not just like bleh, bleh, bleh. Yeah, <laughs> i like to think that i help but you know <laughs> You do. You're you're a good podcast host. Oh. <laughs> I'm loving this. Yeah. I don't even know how much time has passed. It well, could... we have over 50 minutes in. Wow. When we started. Yeah. No. This is. I flew it, right by. It does. It's it's good. It's um. Yeah. I don't know. It's just for 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 what I've seen. You know, because I've known you for over a decade. Wow. Yeah. It is funny that when you actually start to quantify those. Yeah. Things. You say the word decade, and you're like, what? What? No. <laughs> that's a whole 10 years. <laughs> people live people live that long people people were born in the time and and now have like thoughts and expressions since we started talking for the first time how weird is that (laughs) you ever think about that that's the one thing i i this is a total random but like everything when you're like man you were born in 2006 for me it's like i graduated high school that year yeah how you are a physical representation (laughs) of my of like me leaving youth at that point sure in that sense yeah it's 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 weird how how time 
works in that ma- way. Makes people people somehow. Yeah. <laughs> How and then also makes them not people, yeah. Yeah. which is pretty morbid. We could change the subject on that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I had other... Um, yeah. I'll, all right. Going back with um, some ideas and some projects. Because a, a lot of your projects, I mean, because you're not so... I mean, I don't know. I, I might, but just I might just be projecting. But it doesn't seem like you're so romantic. Are you just choosing things that kind of pop into your head? Because it doesn't seem like a lot of these things are like, oh man, I, I really thought about this for twelve months and was like strategizing around. It just seems like no, this is an idea, and then I'm going to go for. It. Is that kind of what that is? Uh, I think it's a per- definitely a percentage of the mm-hmm. pie chart. I think um, it's things that pop in my well now currently it's been things that pop in my head over a span of time that I look back and analyze and realize they're one thing. Mm-hmm. All the pages of the bad ghost book, for instance, were um, were just Sharpie on pieces of paper. I get home from work and do a couple. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait, this could probably be a book. Or like, oh, I see like a pattern forming here. I'm like, these ones, I set those aside and I'm like, that could be a thing. Okay. So and that then, wasn't even when you were drawing your first one. That wasn't like, this is going to be a book. You're like, no, you're just going to write mm-hmm. this because you felt compelled to put something onto paper yes just to create even yeah. if it's something that might not be a thing forever but yeah just my- weird primordial desire yeah, to yeah, like just, i want to make a thing right now yeah <laughs> I, just, I gotta do something I, gotta, I mean that's kind of what this podcast was i watched a video of someone make a podcast in 21 minutes i'm like i could do that and i bought a zoom not particularly under the impression that i was going to start a podcast but i was like oh this is what like within like an hour i was like all right i have an idea i have a title and i just quickly made a like a cover art that's you know? awesome yeah this was and now it's just like, oh, this is now taking up a lot of my time. But it's very, I mean, one of the things is now that we're in this particular time of our lives where I'm like, oh, comedy's going to go hibernate for a while. Mm-hmm. So I need something to take up my time. <laughs> so this will be uh, my my creative outlet during that time. Yeah. Um, I think someone said once, uh, this is, I think it might have been from another podcast. They're like, the true comedians are the people who, when the world is like leveled and the people who come out of the rubble find a thing to stand on and start telling jokes. Like yeah. those are the comedians. So, yeah, yeah. so I think like in, in some way uh, out of the rubble of whatever the hell we're dealing with right now, yeah. you, f- uh, you found the zoom, you found the microphones, yeah. you used your audio engineering experience yeah, to be yeah, like, this yeah. is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. And it's, and with that, it's not always just rubble in terms of like the world. It could be your own personal world. Like sure. I remember yeah, yeah. cracking a joke, um, because I was in a room with my family, it's going to get a little dark, and I apologize. No, no. Is that um, like my cousin had encephalitis? Mm. She had like mono to encephalitis, which is yikes. Yeah. And then you know s- removed any oxygen to her brain. She, she passed. Oh, sorry to hear so that. that. Yeah, this was 2011, so this was quite some time ago. But it was you know it was a tough time. And we were in the room, and my sister was there. My sister was essentially a sister to this cousin. Like, they were nine months apart. Mm. They spent a lot of their early life together, and they would always text each other. And, you know, as she was, you know, she was saying her goodbyes, um, she's like, oh, please don't haunt me. That was her thing. And that was like, but I'm like, and then when I got, I was like, haunt the hell out of her. <laughs> Like, and just like, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, and everyone and like my family knows me. So it wasn't totally out of place, but you know, it was just like one of those things where it's like, even when 
bad things happen, it's still like, yeah, you can find a little something. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, I, I would, I would say you were like a bridge for that moment. Yeah. Of like, you know, uh, um, I think you were a, an important bridge to the grieving process. At that yeah. Point. I, I, and some people did say, I, you know, it's always nice to see that even in a dark moment. And it wasn't so much in, you know, not being mean to obviously the life that was lost, mm. but it was just something where we can all get a laugh out of it where, you know, just the idea of like, don't do that. I'm like, no, just go for it. You know, just, <laughs> just go full tilt into haunting. That would be great. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. Cause I, I think like, I mean, I don't, I don't know what speaking from like an outspot side. Yeah. You know? Like, you know, your family and, yeah. and you know what the, uh, the departed may, may have laughed at. You yes, know? So, yes. I mean, like that could play an important part in like that person's spirit living in that moment for sure. Yeah. Um, but, if we're gonna go back, I'm just I sure. Just, yeah. yeah, that was an important story. I'm really glad you told that. Oh no, wrong. Um, yeah. So it your idea of in that moment just to draw that piece of paper, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden draw another one and realize, oh, there's a pattern, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, this can be something. Is that th- that's one way? If is that I'm assuming that's not every way of how you choose a project or do a project. Yeah, uh, I would say it's a good like bioindicator. That like what I was doing came from a place that I really wanted to express because uh, it was almost subconscious. Where you're, yeah, yeah, and all of that book wasn't created that way, um, but an important chunk of it was before I realized what it was. Um, so it was kind of like a the spontaneous creation and like a period of analysis, mm-hmm. like in probably a six or seven month period of just coming home and doing stuff. Okay, so all right. And it got funnier and funnier, the idea of me printing it. Yeah. Oh, like, well, yeah, of course. At one point, you're like, you're putting a lot of, because that is, that is in a sense of a joke. It's like, these are all Sharpie markers, but I'm going to revere it so much that it's going to go into a printing press. Yeah, yeah. For public consumption. It's an expensive joke. It's a, yeah, it is. And, and, but you call it an experiment in that sense where it's just like, you can take this, what it is. And almost, it, when I see something like that, like, oh, this is an experiment. It's like, when, for me on a one like almost on a like one to one you know copy or not like or just like something I can relate to it's like me putting out a joke that I'm like I don't know if this is gonna work but mm-hmm. like here we go and see what happens and throw it out there yours just takes a little bit more time to get developed <laughs> I can think of it that day and try it out you're like I'm gonna spend seven months of <laughs> of like analyzing it and then like all right I'm thinking about making this and you just keep laughing to yourself that this is going to be a thing that you're gonna make right yeah uh, and then. I, I was listening to that podcast you were just on. The what was it called? The radio, uh, Radio Amenti with uh, Jen Sodini. And you said that the uh, cards kind of came similar out of that, where you were all drawing Pokemon cards from memory or Pokemon from memory. Yes. And and how did that? I don't. I don't know. I don't know if it was directly. How did that go from Pokemon to Tarot? Uh, it was just a weird cross pollination because mm-hmm. my my year prior to that. Uh, was just flooded with tarot. Um, just reading books of tarot and Hermetic Kabbalah. It was just something that was like really interesting to me. And like, um, I was interested in the system. I was interested in it emotionally. And I would just like bring out the cards and start reading people. So it was kind of always on my mind, um, whether it be in the forefront or in the back. And I think 
people drawing Pokemon from memory was like just so funny. Yeah. Um, and I think I mean, just, that is, I think that's inherently trying to be like, all right, do your best. I got to show you this chancy. <laughs> I have to show you this yeah, chancy. Yeah, so that was, that bad. was, the, that was the, uh, <laughs> from the podcast. And if you, I'm actually, I'll put a link in the show notes. Just if you want to go and if you, for whoever's listening wants to go into the deep, like this would be, this would be the podcast for you to listen to because it, they go deep, but, off, off the top, you're talking about how this chancy was something that you just kind of obsessed over. Yes. You wanted to get it tattooed onto your body, <laughs> yeah. which was, which I totally get where you just see something and just, you get so fixated on it and your lizard brain's like, let me, I want that forever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the tarot being that important and that chancy being that important. And that particular chancy. It just melded together and... um. And how long did that, because that wasn't just you, it was also, like we said amateur doodlers professional artists so how long did it take you to get that that was another eight months i think um and how did did you like how did you get that to get other people like uh, did you have to explain the whole idea to them like i saw this chancy (laughs) (laughs) uh no it was a lot simpler than that and i think people expect these things from me at this point that's true that you do have like you said you've been putting out (laughs) things since 2018 and in a very you know unique and kind of like your own I'm out, I'm out of the closet as a weirdo. Yeah. And I, <laughs> My I never, friends and I family know what to yeah. expect. They're like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. Honestly, I was expecting worse, so I'm glad we're actually only at drawing tarot cards. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of just like, uh, want to try this thing. And yeah. I would give them a card and tell them what to do. And usually, like, they'd come out of it, like, uh, it'd be like a little fun, transformative, therapeutic experience. Yeah, what was some, what was some reactions you got after um, that? People who were uh, self-identified artists mm-hmm. uh, would sometimes get kind of upset with themselves um, because they put so much of a weight. Um, and seeing that weight lifted after. Um, like when it was published or just after they saw it? Uh, both. Okay. After seeing the finished product and also after looking at it and be like, okay, this is funny. I do like this. You kind of saw it turn in their heads that like, oh, it's okay. Like fucking up is actually kind of awesome sometimes. That is, that's, oh, wow. Now, um, now I'm relating on, <laughs> I, it's, I apologize because I feel like this is going to be a running theme in this podcast. I already see it where I'm just going to relate things that aren't comedy to comedy. No, well, you're, you are a comedian. comedian. I know. So <laughs> it's just hard not to filter everything through that lens. Cause one of the things that I did during quarantine was writing 10 minutes, like writing a joke for in 10 minutes. Mm. So getting a one word prompt. And then using that word to go wherever you want. And then it just, you have to have a joke by the end of it. Right. So if it's not part, because that was one of my biggest problems pre, you know, lockdown was that everything I wrote had to be a masterpiece because I was so afraid of being original and, you know, and being good Mm. that everything had to be good. And a lot of, like you said, the weight of, of that particular. Yeah. And then doing these, what someone has called like a writing sprint is like you, you can't you have to get over that pretty quick if you're going to write a joke in 10 minutes. Yeah. This might not be your favorite joke that you ever written. Sure. And it might not be something that you'll ever bring to stage. I've been using I've been throwing those things onto tweets now and just being like, eh, you know, it's like a dumb pun, but whatever." Yeah. Sometimes but sometimes it'll also come to a joke that I really like. I wrote one where it's just like uh, I have a new parroting technique where I'm going to spoil my kids and drop ecstasy. Molly coddling. <laughs> it's dumb, but it really took me in a more fun direction where I was like, well, what if I did that? Like, mm-hmm. what if, what if I'm like, that actually wouldn't be the worst thing. No. Like my kids would go to school and they hear their classmates like, oh, my dad doesn't say I love you. My dad never stops. 
<laughs> he touches mom all the time and he combs his hair with his fingers. He's weird. <laughs> it's so, but I'm like I wouldn't have gone to that if I didn't have a dumb pun. Sure, Molly coddling. Yeah, yeah. So it gets the cogs turning enough. It to, does sometimes. Yeah. So, but most times it's just like yeah. Oh, is that a doorbell? It's a doorbell. All right, give me one second. No problem. Please hold for the podcast to return. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate your patience. The podcast should return momentarily. Thank you. So we had brought up my joke about the um, molly coddling because I was doing running sprints, uh, writing sprints, and because the people who were writing, uh, drawing it, like you said, the people who had artists, they had the weight lift off. Yeah. So that's where we were. Uh, and I was pretty much at the end of my sentence with my little dumb joke that I, that I told you. Right. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's where, so we just, so ha 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 ha, <laughs> we just laughed. And then, no. Okay. Yeah. So with those people, it's, it's very similar in that sense where they were able to kind of get over that perfectionism or just like, oh, this isn't good enough because you, they, they also realize that the format of the cards doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be filtered through your head with your talent on an imperfect, uh, right, you're you're set up for failure, so you've already succeeded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a lot that, of ways, that's a that's probably the best way to describe that. That's so because there's like so many blocks to failure to get to the point of actually putting mm. sharpie to paper. You've already won, right? Yeah, and I think that's like that can be a transformative experience because I think we're in like a goal oriented society. Our jobs are goal oriented. Um, you know, it's just. The not to use the 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 tired term rat race, but yeah. that's what it is. Like people want to get, and I to think it's just point. because it's worked for so long, and people are, I think, dogmatic and remote, romantic for the past in that yeah. sense. Where I don't know if we necessarily need to be at that point anymore, where goals need to be hit. Where because that, especially in jobs I've had, you just had to hit specific numbers just to hit numbers because they needed numbers. Yeah, or it might be helpful, but Overall, there still might be a quality of work that can be done that doesn't need to be done to, you know, where you're like, I could point to a number and how well I did. Yeah. And I, th- I think it is important, like, to analyze one's, like, successes and, like, call them that. Yeah. Um, but I think we're just, we're missing a big part of the human experience if we're not using our brains to to do things that aren't goal-oriented, to, yeah. to shoot shit out into the ether and see what happens and yeah. what we learn about ourselves. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that, that, you know, there's a lot because, and maybe some people don't need to thrive on that, but I think a lot of people do, and I think a lot of people suppress that. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, I don't know, it's always funny when p- people who are creative do have kind of these goal-oriented jobs, mm-hmm. like how do they, you know, how, how do they, they handle? How do they cope with and that? Like, I don't know, because for me, I was in one of those jobs, and for a while, I really liked that job, mm-hmm. and they actually let me go because of a whole, not me, but a whole team all at once, but... That, but I, at that point, I had already started doing comedy. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it was already starting to make that transition out. And I was, I would, I would love to see for a job I like doing because I just didn't have anything else going on from like once me and Grace started dating mm-hmm. to about 2016. No, I'm sorry, 2018. You know, I wasn't really doing anything. It was like, I think, you know, it was just being in a new relationship and then moving from living down in Beachwood with Kevin, Aaron, and Matt Lonergan, mm-hmm. and then moving to Eatontown. I think that was a lot. But then at one point, after two years almost of living in that apartment and actually just staying home a lot, because Grace would go out with her friends, who I was friends with, but I would just stay home. You know, there was just nights where I, I don't I don't realize how, I don't want to say empty, but like just like something I I, I think think back on it now. Mm-hmm. If we're doing that analyzing that you like to do, yeah, <laughs> that I just was probably missing something, and that was probably that sort of creation because I was fairly, you know, into bands pretty often. Mm-hmm. Where, um, oh, sorry, yeah, no, it's all right. <laughs> you, he didn't like my music. I guess Crangle <laughs> was like, I was in bands. Yeah, they all sucked. It's like, um, but it's I, I was I'm curious. You know, because at that point, I knew I really wanted to do comedy, even though I really liked the job that I was in. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I wonder, like, had I gone further, would I slowly start to pull away from, like, enjoying that job? Because I had another job. It wasn't nearly as goal-oriented, but I just, I didn't like it. That's probably why they let me go, because they knew that I just, my heart wasn't in it. You sure, know? sure. So... I'm trying to. I, I think I lost a little bit of the plot here when it comes to what we were talking about before. Oh, but um, I guess like create creatives in um, creatives in, in a structured environment. Yeah, I think ultimately like our our brains like puzzles. Yeah, um, no matter how like eccentric or complex or simple. I hate actual puzzles, but I think I do like the idea of solving a problem yeah and that's why i like joke writing because it is just solving a problem yeah there's a format there and i I think like we i think people thinking that creative people don't like structure i think is a little logical fallacy yeah (laughs) my cat's jumping on the table i love it (laughs) Uh, but i think the creative part comes from creating the structure and the constrictions for yourself to to eventually make a product that expresses who you are yeah (laughs) <laughs> oh king of the castle yeah the cat has arrived i don't know if that means anything for the podcast depends on how long this goes might not make it but hey <laughs> if not it's it's all part of the process yeah it's part of the mobile podcasting process yeah yeah all right well he's not hurting anybody so no he's not hurting anyone <laughs> not moving things around hopefully things don't get knocked off we'll see what <laughs> what this cat's what doing <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's, inter- I'm curious if I'm going to keep doing stuff like this, whoever feels comfortable with me coming over mm-hmm. and allowing myself. And, you know, the well, first one I did was in a bakery. It was uh, the person who their, their parents own the bakery. He works in the bakery. He was in their office. Mm-hmm. It was after hours. So that wasn't that big of a deal, but there was a phone call in the background at one point. Gotcha. No one picked up because it was after hours, but you can still hear it. And I'm like, well, it's part of, it's part yeah. of the whole thing. Yeah, it's so a slice of life. It is. Like it's a little slice of life while talking about living a life of being, you know, 
creative and it's just you know this is <laughs> in this sense it's part of it for me i'm i'm going to places where i can't control the whole environment yeah if you come uh, to my house you get surrounded by cats you get surrounded by cats you get a mailman asking for something that has to stop the podcast but you can't can't be angry at it it's just it's part of it it won't the whole interaction with you and the <laughs> with will be mostly cut out but mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be referenced <laughs> yeah <for> sure <laughs> but so Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> try to try to show love, but not 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 a hundred percent. And you're like my 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 one cat that doesn't always love me. <laughs> so let's see. I want to. This is the fun part of podcast when you do lose a little bit of your. Oh, okay. Actually, you brought him up before, Richie. Mm-hmm. It's nice. You guys seem to collaborate pretty often in yeah. that and and listening to that podcast where you like you'll you'll reach out to him fairly frequently to just even get some sort of. Sounding board, how important do you think he is to your process? Uh, extremely. That's what I would have guessed if I had to take a guess. Yeah. Uh, I think we just, like, get each other in a lot of ways. Because um, yeah, Richie has always been Richie. And, yeah. And I don't know Richie that well, but he's never not seemed Richie. Yes. Like, if if for any sort of context for people who don't know who Richie Brown is, which I feel like is fairly few people, mm-hmm. is that... He is someone who, when I first met him, he would come to the Java Joint down in Tom's River, New Jersey, for their open mic night, and take guitar pedals and would throw a microphone into it and create soundscapes with his mouth. Yeah, and he'd run around in the street, and and I would be playing bass behind him yeah. a lot of the times. Yeah. <laughs> we would be both yelling into microphones. Um, yes. So Getting it all out of our system at a young age. Yeah, and... But he is, I feel like, from an outside perspective, he's just grown further and further more and more into who Richie Brown is. Yeah. But it, it seemed like he came out from a very strong perspective, even from the jump. Right. Whereas with you, and I, this isn't, it's just, it seemed like it took you some time to feel comfortable with that. Is that, am I, am I wrong with that? Uh, or am I missing something? I, I think there's like, there's just different ways to get to relatively the same place. Yeah. Um, and I think um, I have always been like a lot more uh, reserved with the things that I create and put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was I kind of I think I played by the books a lot, being a a drummer and being yeah. a producer, songwriter. Um, you know, uh, but I think Richie always had this like extreme irreverence. Yes, one hundred percent. I would love. Whereas I had an irreverence I didn't understand. Um, yeah, I think that would be the better way to to phrase that. It's not that it was comfortable. It was just you didn't understand your own irreverence. Yeah, one hundred percent. Right, and I think um, him and I like get each other socially and like how we interact with the world. Um, we say we interact with the world as an experiment. Yeah, um, that's that seems about right. <laughs> that one hundred. So, yeah, like, <laughs> Wow, that is yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, us both both feeling that way and um, and both creating things and living in the same area and it just it we just I guess we just click and yeah. and think and things that that I can't do he can fill in the gaps to complete what I want to create and things that he's unable to do I try to fill in the gaps for him um, and just like that metaphor I said before like an editorial staff yeah we'll send each other things comment make it better and it's still inherently our own but like we are just a sound you know sounding sounding board board. that's so that is some that's someone do you feel like you would absolutely 
would would be less of a creator if you did not have him in your life? Uh, I think I would have trouble identifying with myself as a creative person if I... I, I think he, he gave me a lot of confidence in... Um, not being like classically trained in specific types of visual art, but yeah, still yeah, carrying you, forth I, with it. When you guys did warm things together, that was interesting because I loved what was going on. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah the the Dan and Melissa, yeah. The, that talk about throwing shit against the wall. Yeah, that was. Woo. I thought it was great. I mean, I have a. I think I have a little bit more and open mind than some other comedians do because I could just tell that they weren't. 100% get what's going on. And let's be honest, not like I got exactly what was it's going on. It's not really on. like we got it yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you did have Guy and um, uh, Jen. 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 Yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm like, I went to high school with her and I blanked on her first name. I could get her last name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both Mustachio and Santa Maria. Like her <laughs> main name and her current last name. I'm like, her first name is just gone. Um, <laughs> just doing whatever in front of a screen with green, with like, green man suits on yeah just do and just doing whatever they want while you guys put visuals and your music behind it mm-hmm. and like i said but people just didn't understand that i was like no this is just for the experience like you don't need to get anything yeah you just need to just kind of derive i'm assuming derive your own meaning yeah i think we i think that was a it's so funny going through like phases yeah uh, but that was my music nihilist phase where when i saw someone Get up on stage and play a verse and play a chorus and play a verse and play a chorus and play play a bridge. It does. Song. It's it's fun. And then everyone and everyone claps, even though they might not even like the song that much. Then they do it again, another verse, and, and someone orders a drink, and then and it's like someone tells a joke, and then they do another verse, and it's like, I what am I doing here? Stop, no yeah. more. So <laughs> I think yeah. like that frustration um, came out on that stage that night, um, and that's what we decided to do. I think because of my exposure to that type of show, um, which is probably why it splits people in half because one people, uh, one side of the people want a thing that they're used to. Yeah. And one people are, which I always find so funny that comedians don't get that. I'm like, you do realize that we always try and talk about, you know, different things and we have to keep it in mind. And we're on the vanguard <laughs> of all this thing. We're talking about blah, 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 blah. And like, but the moment someone presents something to you that is not traditional, Mm-hmm. you're just like what is this i'm like you're no better than the people that you claim to be better than <laughs> sure. in that sense it's it for me it's like you have to kind of be open and i've had trouble with that my first guest carl his what name do, his, what do we say in high school fucking poser right poser <laughs> pose and, and, and it's funny when things like that when you're like this what do they pose like i don't know i i, I think as a teenager you're worried about like clout or whatever what is sure. now what's now being called clout or you're just like trying to position yourself in a different way to seem unique but everyone's like oh you're just trying too hard you know (laughs) but my but it's even myself i've had i've had my issues being open-minded to different things even within comedy my first guest carl his real name is mike he created this character carl and came up on stage but because i had such a bias against characters from like larry the cable guy and andrew dice clay it's like like what is this? What? Why is? Why? Why did he choose this? What, what? I was just like I was very angry and I didn't like him for like the first two. But he just kept coming and it was just like oh no, he's using this character and what even so much more that I learned with with the last episode, he used the character as a conduit to put jokes through that wouldn't be said by a normal human being. 
Right. Okay. He's like he, the whole. He's like a carnival worker from Carney. His <laughs> name is Carl Callen. Like it's. It, <laughs> That's so ridiculous. It's so. I was. I was putting together like a little clip for the first episode. Uh, well, the first interview episode, and he had. I. I. He put out in like an album of just like all of his open mics, like that him and his girlfriend recorded, mm. which is so fun because it's not it. Like kind of going with what you what we what you do. I don't know if he did it on purpose, but it's like it's not. You know, it's not what normally done. Usually it's like, oh, it's a special. It's an hour. You have to make sure it's, it's like, no, it's coming off of a phone recording. Sure. And in not treated, uh, <laughs> like acoustically treated mm-hmm. spaces, but the jokes are there. Like he's my one favorite. The one joke that I put up was he's like, um, you know, I, I, I think I'm, you know, I think people are too busy being on their phones. You know, but I, I'm no better than most people, too. I had a friend telling me that his friend died of tuberculosis, and I'm just there like, everyone on the fucking phone, and they can't blah, 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 <laughs> And then he's like, yeah, my, my friend died of TB. I heard his last breath, and, and there I am on my phone go, yeah, those Crunchwrap Supremes kill, kill, uh, kick the hell out of me, too. <laughs> TB fucking Taco Bell. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, but it's, it's so absurd and ridiculous. Right. But because he's going even absurder and more ridiculous. Yeah, as a Car- car- Carl would make that joke. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it, re- it reminds me of, um, not to bring it to tarot all of a sudden, but hey, the, if I'm going the, to filter uh, everything through comedy, <laughs> by all means, filter everything through okay. your experience with tarot. And then here we go. Yeah. Um, the, the fool in tarot, um, uh, is like a medieval concept, you yeah. know, the fool, the jester. Um, Someone described him, uh, quoted, uh, a congenital idiot that uses his obtuseness to his own advantage. And, like, that person was able to make fun of anyone in the court, whereas if a knight made fun of the king, that dude would be dead. Yeah. But, like, the fool was able to make fun of whoever he wanted because that was his job. Yeah. However, no one took him seriously. So, like, when I hear someone making a character like Carl, it's like he's being extremely obtuse on purpose to prove a very specific point. Yeah, he said um, that he had an issue with himself. He says, like, I have anxiety, but Carl unlocks that in me. And that's, and I was like, that is yeah, very interesting. Because it, that's because awesome. It, it's interesting in the sense that I'm coming, going up as me, even though now it's a, a name that I technically took on with when I married Grace. Mm-hmm. It just... Now, it, but it's still me. I'm putting myself out there. So I have to figure out the one big thing in comedy is figuring out your voice, which really comes down to figuring out your character. What, what do you like? And it's always like a version of who you are. It'll never be your fullest self on stage. So at the end of the day, you're also making a character. I'm also making it, but it is just, it very it's closer mirrors, to home. Yeah, mirrors closely to who I really am. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, people won't always. Because it's it's a performance, people won't always ex- accept everything about you. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of figure out what works, and you go, "Well, it's it's close to who I am." Like there's some comedians, and off the top of my head, I could think Mike Birbiglia. He's a very smart man, but his character that he does on stage is more of his like the dumb part of his brain. Sure, that he's just like, "Oh, I'm this kind of slubby guy," <laughs> and but it just that's where all of his his jokes kind of emanate from. Right. So, but for Carl, it's just this very larger-than-life character. I mean, one of the first jokes I can remember him saying, and I'm sorry, Carl, that I'm pretty much doing your act on my podcast, <laughs> is that, oh, my my girlfriend, Connie, she's a real dime. She looks like Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> like, that's so dumb, but it's so... It, <laughs> it's effective. It is. I like it. It is. 
So I'll, I'll have to go see him someday. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 very funny. He's a very funny dude. Um, yeah, that first that first interview was great. Um, man, I feel like we just trying to think how we got back to you know how we got here. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we'll we'll never know. No, we'll this, never. This know. isn't recorded. This <laughs> isn't recorded. No, this is well. well it's just lost to the ages. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Any more questions on your notebook? I don't think I have any more that immediately jump out to me that I haven't already asked. But I think the only the only other question, and it does go back to the last topic we were talking about, mm. was with Richie and how important that is. Do you think for someone who would maybe thinking about doing, you know, getting into any sort of cre- like a sounding board, do you think that would just be a something that cuz I feel like with me, I haven't had too much of a sounding board up until recently with the Facebook group I've been a part of. We've been doing feedback mics. That's been helpful, but I've been debating for myself someone who I can I, I I've kind of had a couple people I've been doing that with and a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But would you think as someone who's putting out something for themselves, like it's just important to have, like regardless of. Yeah, any- I think it is. And I think it's like, you're going to have it no matter what. Like, I think, uh, I think you, ha- everyone mostly, I, I can't speak for everyone, but yeah. I would think that everyone has a ton of sounding boards. It's just whether or not they're paying attention to, oh, okay. to the people that they're putting stuff out to. Um, like, do you say jokes to grace? Uh, so, I mean, I will say she's not, she's more of a storyteller kind of comedian, like that's where her, and mm-hmm. that's not where I'm at right now. She doesn't like the more like set up punch. And I, and but that could be like the best audience to try a joke. That's, that's like, a, that's a good point. Like when I showed, and, when I showed bad ghosts to Kylie, I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. What do you think? Yeah. Like, and like, all right, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. What do you think of this? Yeah. And she's like, oh, it's good. And I'm like, you think this is good? <laughs> and then I wound up making another one. So like. All I needed to hear from someone was that it wasn't like. I mean, I guess technically with comedy, you have the audience as a sounding board. Sure. Because that's, you know, that is ultimately your, your, the alpha omega for you in terms of that. If they, part of your performance is getting a laugh, you're technically playing the audience in that sense. You're manipulating them into a, into a state of elation, making them laugh. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. So that is my ultimate sounding board, but. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe taking, but be, but being cognizant of yeah. someone that you you like, yeah. for instance, when you re- mentioned Richie, like I know he's that person that I can go to. Yeah, like, I don't think I have that. Yet. I have a friend who moved to Florida who we've been keeping in contact and kind of running bits by. I just don't know. I think for me, and this might just be, it's just I've never had that, mm-hmm. and. It's maybe it's just hard for me to open up in that sense. For sure. Like, yeah, it's really a vulnerable situation because yeah. you're like, is this good? Is, is this, this good? is this thing that I want to connect and with I've the rest of the world? I've done that with? at like mics where like like running an idea by someone, is this good? But I don't think I have like one one and I've seen a lot of people who are like, Oh, I have this person mm-hmm. or you Well, know. I, I think it's good to think like, you know, you don't you don't have one person for everything. No, for but sure. I think Brian Eno said something. He's like there's and it sounds kind of lame, but it's kind of true. He's like, uh, there's genius and there's senius, like talking about the the music scene. Uh, I don't know when he, he probably said this years ago. Got but, it. Um, but referring to like, you know, Mozart is a genius, but he's not the only classical composer. Yeah. Um, 
that is the seniors. That, oh, okay. That's like the, um, the and col- I'm, pro- I'm probably paraphrasing this that's completely, fine. but it's like, that's like the collective uh, classical era of music. And you can listen to that and you can take out pieces and identify it as classical and know why it's smart and why it's good and why it's stood the test of time. So I think like everyone doing open mics in Asbury and New, and New Jersey right now, um, that's your scene, you know? Yeah. And like it, you have a bunch of individuals kind of figuring out what works to their demographic that and makes their sense. audience. Yeah. So like um, I think if you don't think you have a sounding board yet, you you may have them and you don't realize it and you may be developing stronger ties without realizing it. Like even you just kind of pitching a few ideas um, could be, you know, a writing partner three years from now. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we've switched roles and now you're the therapist <laughs> and, and I'm the biggest, you're like, you, you'll find it, buddy. And just like, thanks. It fills me with such hope. But um, yeah, because it's just, I don't know. It's, I think more and more I'm starting to realize that, especially when you're, it, when I was doing some of the stuff on that Facebook group, it's like a just a comedy network. I, I've discussed it, so I don't want to get too deep into it and repeat myself. Mm. I know as time goes on, I'm going to forget what I've said before and <laughs> will eventually repeat myself. But episode two, I'm trying to remember. Um, there has been like open mics, but with just the comedians, and then there's like three minutes of feedback after your, mm. which has helped a lot kind of got me some lines and got me to focus where things were working. Cool. Um, and then there's been like writing sessions and it's, I think it minimizes the risk of things going quote unquote terribly when you do, uh, when you do a performance at an open mic, mm-hmm. because you kind of already had it filtered through a couple of people before you even got it and, fil- and, pri- and filter out some of the junk that doesn't need to be in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious. And I, I don't know, because just because you've, if it seems like you've always had, Richie, am I? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's just, you know, having that, I think, will be beneficial for myself. This is very, speaking from a very selfish point right now, uh-huh. This is I don't know if this, I, I mean, maybe some people who are listening, and hopefully someone's listening, <laughs> um, is thinking about it. Being creative might just be, can't just be something in a vacuum for yourself. It needs to be. Well, it, it can and it can't. Um, well, I, I mean, there's points, but I don't think it should exclusively be in a vacuum where you create and then you release sure um you it seems like you have a counter argument which i'm curious to hear if you want to first say what you want to say and then well i think like i think relationships are really really important when you are going to create stuff because Mm -hmm. you're looking to connect with people and um it starts with the individual process it starts with the one-on-one process it starts with like the crowd of people and start you know it begin it begins again at stadiums, you know, like yeah. when people are doing even huge, like massive venues. Um, so, I mean, there's always people involved. And I think if you look at it that way, it becomes a, it's scary, but it becomes less scary. Yeah. Um, uh, but with, with Richie, I think our, our relationship has developed stronger over time. Like we weren't always the most intense sounding board for each other that we have been in the past like four years. Okay. Um, so it's it's something developing and i think we're part of each other's projects and um even with like baba sonia with with rachel um the whole reason i started writing songs was because i was showing her my songs and she was like these are songs and i'm like oh really like real live songs she's like yeah they're fucking songs real live then, songs yeah, she played songs for me and i'm like yeah those are songs like wait we have songs let's and we made like an ep and stuff so yeah. i mean like 
uh, and that's just my personal story of finding my own confidence in my own voice because I, you know, playing drums my whole life it really wasn't existent until yeah that point. So um, I think just uh, making things for yourself and connecting with people who it resonates with uh, on a on a on a person to person like one on one basis is definitely important. Uh, is it necessary? I can't. I don't know if I could speak to that or not. I'm sure there's some hermit somewhere making these like extravagant yeah, I sculptures. Mean, I, was, I guess my first thought was like Daniel Johnson. Oh yeah, and and putting. I, I'm like, I don't. Did he ha- really have that many? Mm. I, I don't know his story too well, but it's just it's he seemed like someone who was. Yeah, I can't. Pretty, I can't speak on it too yeah, much. I don't know, but I'm thinking what I'm starting to understand is that I, I might need someone, and I'm just I have been either consciously or subconsciously holding back because like maybe i might be afraid in that sense yeah i would say don't put it on someone else though i would say put it on yourself to just be more vulnerable with people in the work that you make oh, i can't so blame anyone else besides my, <laughs> no you, well, think, you think i'm gonna start blaming other people like why aren't you letting me be vulnerable to you damn it i, I know i haven't said anything to you about what i think on the inside but why won't you let me do that i'm saying don't find you know what i'm saying <laughs> don't find people just put yourself out there more yeah. and you're becoming magnetized. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing. No, yeah, no. I, I just. Now I feel vulnerable. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> you live here. <laughs> I came to your house to record. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Just walks out. Um, yeah, no, I, of course, if I see a comedic uh, path, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that path. I know what you're saying is be be vulnerable to more people and see who it attracts as opposed to choosing one person and hoping. And yeah. Cause I'm sure it's just like bombing in any instance. Like yeah. people are going to forget. And yeah. Oh, for support. sure. And that's the one thing you have to learn is that you're just, when you, when you do comedy like that, you're just like, no one's going to remember. <sighs> the only thing people will remember is a bad attitude. So you can't, you just have to take it in stride. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's the, that's what people, I mean, if you've, what, what are you going to remember? Someone playing a wrong note or someone breaking a guitar? Sure. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good point. That's Thank uh you. But, but no, <laughs> I'm like thinking back on like the uh the original part or not original part, but the past part of the conversation where I was mentioning that specific comic who was bombing all the time. Yeah. I'm like, oh, maybe if he didn't like get drunk and like act like an idiot like every night, like yeah. maybe he would have a little bit more success and Yeah, yeah. And, and at least like getting to know other comedians. For sure. I mean networking. that I mean that's a big part of anything, I'm assuming with you know in your particular like scene or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. And, you know, comedy is just that you have to be personable to a point, you know? Sure. I know it might be harder for some people, so I can't be like, well, you got to be the most personal person to be out there and say hi to everyone. But at the same time, you can't just be super standoffish mm-hmm. because especially when it comes to comedy, the people who you interact with on a day-to-day basis at Mike's are might be people who might book you later you just have to be good and cool sure you can't just be good to work with good to work people will more likely work with someone who's cool than someone who's good and a jerk you know Mm. right i've definitely heard people who's like yeah this person's funny but they're really tough to work with and they make my life a lot harder Mm. so talent is important but it isn't always the most important thing i'm assuming that goes with anything else oh yeah 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 well, Mike, I really want to thank you for oh, inviting me into your home. No problem. And where can we find you? Uh, 
I mean, besides Tom Trevor. Where am I? (laughs) Where am I? But (laughs) but in the digital space, where can people find you? This is the part I'm so bad at, but I'm going to give it a shot. Um, So on Instagram, at Dad Magnet. Okay. That is my personal Instagram. Uh, It has a website link to my latest project, which is the Tarot Deck. Um, But not just the Tarot Deck is on that website. There's also my book. There's also a t-shirt. And there's a couple other projects that I'm going to have coming out. Um, put up on that thing. You have a couple things coming down the pipeline. Uh, yes, they're in their infancy. Wonderful. Um, but yeah, I would say my Instagram might be a hub of things I create. I respond to anyone who direct messages me. Yeah, uh, has my email on there too. So, uh, yeah. And then music, Spotify. Oh yeah, just search my name, Mike Castaney. Um, it's mostly ambient music. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have my my. My band with my friend Rachel, it's Bob Bisonia. Um also on Spotify and Apple Music and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm in Tom's River. Come to my house. Yeah, yeah come on. Come, it's a nice pool, actually. I'll make you pancakes. Yeah, yeah. hop in my pool. And, yeah. Yeah, this will actually all be in the show notes too, so it won't have to be, you know, spell everything correctly so people can just click. Yeah, I, I, I think I just, I have to start loving the idea or owning the idea that I'm just going to flail whenever someone like asks me to like yeah like <laughs> tell me your stuff yeah yeah no it's that's that's part of the one of the reasons why I'm doing the podcast I'm going to be vulnerable and open right now mm-hmm. is that I just want people to find me so when hopefully things start to pop off for me mm-hmm. and, you know you know there's which a, they will thank you <laughs> thank you for having that, that confidence in me that there will be a, a people a group of people who listen to this podcast who will hopefully be along for this journey you know and just just trying to put it out there and because i want to write jokes and i want to tell and i want people to listen to my jokes and hopefully come see me specifically for the reason sure. to see my jokes and if i can build an audience with something like this that would be nice but also I like to talk to people about their particular creative process. So yeah, I, and I think you're showing who who you are too yeah. in in a really big way. Like knowing you and hearing how you're talking in front of a microphone, it is the same exact thing. So I think oh, like good, yeah, that's I think I, I was trying. I, that was the one thing I don't want to sound like because I no, I did you, a podcast five years ago with a friend and you could hear <laughs> the performance in the voice. I was like woof. Yep. But that also came with doing open mic comedy yeah that's a phase and and you've completed it congratulations (laughs) thank you again mike yeah yeah thank you thanks for having me i'm uh, honored to be on this